This Start is, over. Uh, there we go. This is Russell. It's episode Lyon. six. It's episode six. We're covering part four. Four. The traders. Mm-hmm. Here you go. I got it. Suchners.com. All that good stuff. I got you. Go for it. Listeners, welcome back to Such Nerds. This is episode six. We are covering part four, The Traders. I am your host this week, Russ, surrounded by my co-hosts, Jason and Peter. And we are going to spend some time today talking about Isaac Asimov's foundation, The Traders. We would just like to mention that you can get all of your podcast needs from suchnerds.com or from Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, and or concerns, always feel free to send us a line at suchnerds.com. Let's get underway. Well, it looks like we got some fan mail again this week, gentlemen. Mm. This one is, uh, is pretty clear. This is a question for Jason from Mason underscore is underscore just underscore Jason underscore with underscore and underscore M. So that's Mason is just Jason with an M. The question is, as a Mason named Mason, I am doubly insulted by your clear ignorance of concrete. I, as a member of the Freemasons, can forgive your transgression, as I'm sure you were never properly educated in the field of engineering or material sciences. Right? I think you've uh, managed to insult this uh, listener, Jason. Do you have anything you'd like to say to that? Yes, I uh, firstly I I duly apologize for any insult that I may have cast in a previous uh recording of of our podcast. But and do I, you doubly apologize cuz they're uh, doubly offended. Like do yeah, I meant duly as like as in like do, like a do apology not as in dual like to. I think I you didn't need to duly apologize. apologize. I duly apologized. I thought should, I thought sorry, that was sorry. adequate. That's pretty like that's at the level that's due, so I'm. I feel like that's an adequate level of an apology. I don't think I need to double that. I don't go, need to go Square double down pretty, or double dip. Pretty upset. I don't yeah. know. He sounds kind of upset. You know, he doesn't want to be considered or labeled as a concretist, <laughs> an, an elitist concretist, <laughs> an elitist concretist. Well, you know, what? the other thing, I I think I also blew it and used the word concrete, but it may be cement. I don't know for sure because I. He's right. He's absolutely 100% correct. I am ignorant to the ways of concrete because concrete is static and uh, it's only dynamic and, you know, temperature expansion and, you know, load deflection and things like that. It is not mechanical, which is the way that I was educated from an engineering perspective. So it is uh, a little bit beyond my reach, probably far more complicated than I am prepared to handle as a mechanical engineer. And I have a feeling that if this Mason was a real Mason and not just, you know, ribbon me, uh, he probably 
he probably would have used more proper Masonic language than have leapt on my concrete misspoken description of the cement of yesteryear. I think the seeker keepers are going to take offense to that. Yeah. All right. So well, does that answer the question, Peter? It, that sounds like a sorry, not sorry to me. So we'll just move on and uh, I'll inform your uh, family of your untimely demise. Okay. Are you just thumbing through all of the I am. thousands there's, there's of emails so that have come it's in? Like a big, it's like a big mailbag and I had one special picked out and my kid knocked it over and then I had to put it all back. Um, all right. So, uh, Russ, I believe this one's for you. Uh, at least you're the subject matter. I'm not sure that it's actually directed at you. This is from sand underscore worm with a Y. <laughs> oh, God. Dear such nerds, does Russell even know what book you're reading? <laughs> I, too, love Dune, but I'm pretty sure this isn't a Dune podcast. Russ, you want to go and respond to that one for us? Yeah. Um, actually... Have we had this question before? I think we start almost every podcast asking if, Russ, do you know what book we're reading? I can't help that I do enjoy the Dune saga. There's something about it that really grabs me. And I don't know if it's the hooks from the the worm riding or Gurney Halleck's Basilisk or Basilist or whatever that – nice luthier instrument that he plays to calm everybody down. I don't know what it is. Almost gent, almost gent. Like it's yeah. a future space guitar. That's what it well, is. Seems only fair. Anyway. Yes, I do love Dune. Sometimes I wish we were reading Dune, but I'm also here at the foundation full time. 100%. For those of you who are just joining us, welcome back to our Dune podcast. <laughs> And right. I think I think we've got one more question. There is, you know, this is, this could be a little bit of a bunny trap, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. Um, and again, this is another one that I think, you know, it's one question, but or it's actually two questions. Uh, but I think that each of us needs to provide kind of an independent answer to this uh, dual question. All right. So the the question is this: If you had to describe yourself using a character of foundation who would it be what about your co-hosts who would they be russ do you want to lead us into the uh foray here okay no i can do this i can do this uh immediately what comes to mind is yes i'm duncan idaho no that's not part of foundation (laughs) that's great russ how about your (laughs) co-hosts Jay, uh, let's see. I think you're more of the Harry Seldon. I think you have calculated and quantified, linearized every possibility that could be in a world. Um, That's what I was going to say. And destined to die in less than two years. Well, I mean, who knows? We still have to read Prelude Foundation, so... You may exist in another in another book. Who am I, though? That's what everybody wants to know. Everybody's everybody. I know everybody's been waiting for the grand this. finale. Peter? Who is Peter? I feel like Peter is definitely the uh, Prince Leopold. 
perfect. I I feel like he's the guy that is just itching to roast his family members. Just like step out of line, ax him. I, I mean, that's that's a fair analysis. I feel like you I, definitely I am constantly plotting your team's death. <laughs> you have been vibing on the fact that he constantly talks about how he can just waste his uncle at any time. Like, yeah, I can listen to him, but like, I can also get him whacked. So, yeah, exactly. I love it. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and have to say because what I have to say is the most important thing. Um, that I see myself more of a uh, as a uh, a salver Harden myself. I, I have a I have personality. Unlike most of the characters in the book, you smile yeah. far more than Salver Harden. I, you know what? That's true. That's true. I was gonna go with Gal Dornick, but I don't really have kind of like a slack jawed, wide eyed, like walking through life kind of situation. Um, I'm a little more cynical than that. I don't know who I would be, but definitely I have to agree with your analysis that Jay is definitely Harry Seldon, hands down. This dude has has everything planned out. He knows exactly how it's going to go down. He knows where the crisis points are. And then that's when you're going to have to – the the podcast is either going to survive or it's not once you hit that crisis situation. It's up to us, but Jay's got it already designed for us. So Yeah, he he knows exactly how it's going to go down. Right. You guys are going to have to face crises and, uh, you know, I'm – 99% 99% positive that you're going to make it through those crises. Yes. But your uh, backup podcast is going to make sure that, you know, ensure well, the survival. On the other, of the yeah. Series. On the other side of the galaxy, I've got my other podcast lined up, ready to fill the void for sure. <laughs> I, I just like to point out that uh star's end is my J pop band. So you guys can find me on such nerds.com slash J pop. <laughs> And uh, what about Russ, Peter, before I take the mic? I don't know. Um, Who would Russ be? Well, let's let's think about Russ as a a person. He's very very, uh, contemplative. He is – he's slow to anger. He's slow to show his anger. I, I'm going to have to say that he's probably – you're not Duncan Idaho, brother. I'm going to have to say that. <laughs> I just wish I could be I, like I Duncan think, Idaho. I, I'm, thinking of, I'm thinking of Paul too. I think he might be the uh, the God Emperor King. Maud Dib? You think <laughs> I'm, I'm, the second, I'm the second second coming? You're the second second. You're the actual – That's the double – that's the double dip. That's the double double dip. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I hope I Not the maw dib, the double dib. <laughs> the double maw dib. Wait, so I actually related more to the characters in the traders section than I did to any of the other characters. Russ, that's an excellent segue. You should host this thing, man. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what. This week I'm going to give it a whirl, so that, if that's okay with you guys. Um, it is. <laughs> And I'm glad you finally he, provided the answer, Russ, to the first part of the question that you were the first one to answer. You finally <laughs> said a character in the Foundation novel. Even though I, it's a I collection of characters, I'm not sure which one. 
is it the, you know, is it the grand master or is it the guy who helps the prisoner escape or is it the prisoner or is it the soothsayer furl? Which character in the traders are you thinking of? Ponyets. Ponyets. Lamar Ponyets. Nice one. But we need to, Jay, we need to go for you. You, who, who are yeah, you so, and who are okay. your co-hosts? All right. So I am really uh, like flattered that you guys think I'm Harry Seldon. Um, just the idea of like the forethoughtfulness of his whole, you know, developing psychohistory as, you know, a, an academic field of study. Um, but it was basically him who invented the whole science of psychohistory. I do not associate myself personally with, uh, with Harry Seldon. I actually, you guys are going to laugh at me. Venus. Um, no, I associate myself closely with Pyrene okay. of the, of the foundation of the council. Right. Yeah. He's the council. He's the guy who never has time for any politics. Yeah. He's focused on his scientific purview. He has no patience for the political guy who's feeling things out and improvising. Um, just like interaction-wise, like he knows he's there. He has to, he accepts that he is there for a purpose, but he just has no patience for him when he's in his presence. And I feel like, even though I mentioned at that section that I was really holding out hope for. Salver Harden, because I think he's there, his heart's in the right place. Like I totally associate mostly with, uh, with Pyrene. Now you guys, on the other hand, now don't take this the wrong way, Peter, because I mean it, because I, I said that I, you know, I think highly of Salver Harden as a reader, Listen, because I you think can't, you, you can't ask me not to be offended by something. <laughs> um, so I think that you remind me most of Salver Harden because you're like, I, you, you, I'll say a quote. You're not even going to remember it. You've once told me sometimes I have to just go for the lift. Perfect. That is something absolutely I would say. I was helping you do something in your bathroom renovation in your house. And we were like contemplating and trying to figure it out and calculate it. And you're like, let's just, let's just go for it and see if it works. Like sometimes I just got to go for the lift. And it really struck me as like, that really kind of rounds out who I see as Peter. Like you got to go for the lift sometimes. So I love it. That's I'm unbelievably flattered. Now, Russ, I got to say, you made me think when you said Lamar Pognettes, because, you know, I can see, I can see where you're coming from there. Um, and you have to also promise not to be offended when I tell you who. <laughs> Jesus, you are the worst at delivering this news. But my initial thought, and this is based on a comment that you made while we were discussing the foundation stuff, is I see you, especially in this podcast environment, um, you're very much a Gal Dornick to me. What does that mean? <laughs> Jay, can you explain that a little bit? Like aspirational, but not like like he looks up to uh, what he's trying to involve himself in rather than seeing himself as already part of it. And I think like it's – I think that will change, Russ, because I see already like you're getting like kind of in your stride here. But you seemed like, a, like you were scratching for – 
kind of a, uh, a feeling like you have sufficient sci-fi experience to contribute in the way that like, you know, Peter's dropping these game of Thrones references and the interregnum and all this kind of stuff. And you just seemed like very kind of like wide eyed and, and open to it. But I think there's, there's more for you to contribute than you realize, you know, in that moment. And, uh, that was my thought. But, uh, but I think like personality wise in this podcast, you're, you remind me of Gal Dornick. Like you want to be in it. You're ready to be in it. You're there. You're qualified to be in it, but you just don't quite see yourself as in it yet. And you're still kind of like a, a spectator at first. I think what Jason's trying to say is that you have a lot to contribute and we're looking forward to seeing more of your potential come out because it's already coming out. It's like a beautiful flower. You're hosting thus far in this podcast has been magnifique. <laughs> and just the fact that I'm already like second guessing my selection of character is, should be sign enough that like, you know, I think what you need to really realize is that I didn't actually tell you who I thought he was like. He's like Weenus. He's already taken <laughs> over the Imperial Starship. He's ready to invade and steal <laughs> this podcast. And unfortunately, <laughs> it's just me out here, right? Who's fighting him off. You're already dead, man. I know. I know. But I know what's going to happen. Some- and I have confidence in you, Peter. Somebody <laughs> was going to have to be Weenus. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Okay. Listen, I'll take yeah. it. Hey, and you know what? Also, Peter, not to just belabor this and grind this, you know, horse into hamburger meat. How much you love me, Jason? But, (laughs) but I think what you're saying is interesting because it's. uh, I think it's maybe just something to reflect on for Russ that you know Weenus was focused on kind of might over right, and uh, I think we saw that there was space in that maneuvering for nonviolent or less violence to balance the the equation than just fighting back with another nuclear blast or something like that. As the most aggressive member of this podcast, I take high offense to that. So Jay, you're saying that there was space in space? I'm saying that your your initial sentiment earlier in the podcast was very much towards like things spiraling into violent interactions. Oh yeah. And I thought I, like, I think that like, yeah. So I think that's where Weenus's head was at. Like he's going to, you know, war is going to happen and he's going to be on the right side of it. So whereas, uh, you know, Salvor Harden was more, you know, measured and he kind of like ducked the punch and then, you know, laid a pillow out for, you know, the, uh, the puncher to land on in a way that, uh, balanced the equation a little bit yeah, less violently. He's on the uh, slow burn side, the long, the long play, slow burn. Okay. So again, this is section, or I'm sorry, part four, the traders, spelled T-R-A-D-E-R-E-S. I'm sorry, not E-R-E-S, T-R-A-D-E-R-S. Hold on, is it T-R-A? Hold Traderers. On, me, I'll tell hey, you can what. Can you spell it? Wait, wait, wait. We got Jay, hold on. Jay's going to spell it for us so you know how it's spelled. <laughs> All right. So I just spelled it. <laughs> uh, I know that's how it's spelled. Because All I, right. I so I just spelled it. it, and that's how it's spelled. <laughs> so finally, here we are. <laughs> 
So we've got the traders, and I'm going to go ahead and just give us a quick run through. Lamar Pognette, a trader once trained as a priest of the galactic spirit, but dropped out of the seminary, is met by Les Gorn on his trade route and receives notice that somebody he knows to be on a secret mission of the foundation is in prison on a particularly anti-technology kingdom's capital planet, likely sentenced to the death penalty. Upon navigation through the heavy bureaucracy of the Esconian kingdom for two weeks and apologizing to the grandmaster himself for arriving in a trading ship, he gains, he being Lamar Ponyats, he gains access to the, to converse with the prisoner, Eskel Gorov. After learning that Eskel is determined to fulfill his mission to sell nucleics to the anti-technology planet, even if it means his death, and that what the Grandmaster really wants is gold rather than the death of Gorov. Ponyats undertakes quite a scheme. He subsequently invents a transmuter that converts iron to gold, puts on a show for the Grandmaster whose soothsayer, Farrell, advises him against this machine. Ponyats, in turn, woos Farrell to buy his atomic gadget after tricking him into borrowing it and getting a recording of him using the illegal machine in order to avoid exposure Farrell agrees to buy Ponyat's entire ship full of goods, including nucleics, in exchange for a ship full of tin from Farrell's personal mine. This is a premium for Ponyat's, fulfills Gorov's mission, and they both escape the Esconians in one piece. That was very concise. I enjoyed that. I was reading the little snippet at the beginning of The Traders, and I just wanted to clear up in case there's any confusion with despotism of the Four Kingdoms, Peter. That is despotism, like as in despot, as in king. It, it was not despotism. It's not like a movement of non-spots or removing spots. I just wanted to be clear that there was no confusion there. On well, I, part. I, I, they're, they're called despots, not despots or despots. No know. one says despot. I don't know. That explanation sounds a little spotty to me. Go ahead, Peter. Did you have real things to mention? <laughs> Um, yeah, I thought it was cool that um, this is where Pharrell got his start um, before he became the hit songwriter. You know what? We uh, we failed to uh, introduce ourselves with a snarky little intro. Yes, I noticed that, but I let it go because – just because. But I think it's a great you know segue into our cathartic release which is our new galactic swear word which is o galaxy right peter yeah. were you not excited great, about that there was I mean, one other you one you still prefer there was great space i like great space myself i think great for space. selden's sake for selden's sake comes up yeah that yeah that, that was, was another it. one oh yeah. man he really is the savior huh right and i appreciate uh you know russ you had the same uh, challenge that I did. Uh, I had to like train myself away from atomics because I keep wanting to say atomics for all this uh, nuclear stuff. Yeah, but it's it's nucleics. They keep referring to it as nucleics, right? They d- don't. They refer to it sometimes as atomics. Doesn't he say? Um, Gorov talks when he's explaining. Not not. I don't know that it matters, but they definitely say nucleics way more than any sort of atomic. Yeah. I felt like I was losing my mind because I was thinking atomics in my head, atomics, atomics, and then I come across it in the book and it's nucleics. And I'm like, oh man, what was that? Where did I get atomics from? Maybe they do say it and I just don't, 
It was like I feel like maybe I read it. I see nucleics, but I read it as atomics. Because mm-hmm. it's like almost the same letters. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, you know, it's just it's the same thing, right? <laughs> can't be so hard on him. I'm, I do the same thing. I'm being facetious. Can you spell that for me? F-E-C-E-S-I-U-S. Like the Greek uh, hero, right? The guy, the the physician task of pushing the boulder up the hill, right? I think it's P-H, if I'm going to be a real tool about it. <laughs> P-H-E-C-E-S? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, okay. But it's, it's Sisyphus. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's I know. a Sisyphean task. Okay, now I get it. That's now do a, you get my joke? That's a stretch. That's a stretch joke. Sorry, that was... I, a, maybe they do say nucleics. I'm looking at here, Gorov talking about Ponyets telling him, and he said it's my assignment to sell nu- nucleics to Ascom. Yeah, I don't see anything about atomics in here. I hate, you know, I hate to go back and dwell on page one seventy three, which is before they even like really start the section. But this is like I started to really latch on to these little intros and the lead-ins, and I really appreciated the quote that they said or is adopted by all of the traders, and the quote is, "Never let your sense of morals." prevent you from doing what is right. So my, I guess my one question is, do you think that the traders have the ability to significantly sway um, planetary decisions? It seems like they were able to, to make a big move for the foundation yet without not without being a part of the foundation. Like they didn't do it for the foundation; they did it because it was convenient. Did they? I mean, it's it's obviously like a, it's a it's a tool of trying to promote peace throughout the galaxy, right? Which makes sense when you have an interconnected web of um, trade alliances. It tends to keep things in check and keep people from going to war. Do and we? That's how it works in the real world, right? That's part of the reason that. Um, trade between China and America has been so important is it's been a, a means to prevent the clashing of two world superpowers. But do we, do we know that it's based off of peace? Because Gorov says that he is trying to get nucleics into the economy so that he can then create a need for terminus to trade. So it doesn't sound like a peacekeeping operation. It sounds like, well, an economic manipul- manipulation to then tie the Asconian economy to needing terminus to keep generating more nucleics. Right. And well, when they say nucleics, they're not talking nuclear weapons, right? They're talking about nuclear technology. Right. They're it, talking, they even gizmos. say like a pen knife. Yeah. Like a pen knife with a force field on it or something like that. Gadgets, gizmos. That seems super in- impractical, by the way. Any any other thoughts? The Grandmaster is really taken by the fact that Ponyets is a tender of the spirit, is what he calls him, Peter. And uh, he's a member of the cloth. Yeah, these these um, this planet seems to be very interested in. Uh, they've taken a kind of non-technology approach to their spiritual connectedness, even though ironically the king or the grandmaster is 
solely interested in gold. Um, they operate under the guise of we don't accept technology because it's heretical and we, you know, live this pure life of non technology so we can connect with our ancestors in the afterlife kind of thing. At the same time, they still have nuclear powered spacecraft to escort the traders into the planet, but they've rejected most trade. Yeah. I mean, it's, it feels very, um, Mennonite to me. I wouldn't say Amish. I'd say Mennonite. So there's a bunch of Mennonites down down at James Madison where I went to school. And um, it was weird because you would see the Mennonite women like shopping at Walmart. And they would be buying, you know, yards and yards and yards of, of cloth made, you know, basically in China or, you know, Vietnam or whatever. And that was okay. Like they could purchase those goods. They would... They were dressed very conservatively. They rode horse and buggies, but somehow they were they were still allowed to interact with like this outside world. Whereas I feel like the Amish are much more like closed off as a society. But it, it just struck me as odd. Like they have these odd distinctions in this Ascone. Ascone, yeah, the Ascone system. The Ascone system. The the Ascone system. It seems very wishy-washy as far as like where their line is on what acceptable technology is. I think it would make sense to like understand if somehow, you know, nucleics somehow demolished this world and left it in ruins, you know, post-galactic fall, galactic empire fall. Like they kind of hinted at the reason behind it that would be interesting to me. It just seems very like, oh, these guys don't really accept new technology, except they have starships. But they're old starships, right? They haven't like they haven't bought new starships. They were using the old ones that they had. Right. I mean, but it'd be like an Amish person finding an old car and being like, Oh, well, this is an old car, it's okay if I use this. But in the meantime, I'm supposed to be living this kind of pious lifestyle, like uh like a, a retroactive or I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. But I think that for me the apples to apples there is that like a buggy is still technology. Like there's simple machines all combined together to make a mechanism that you can ride by attaching it to a horse. But all of a sudden when you make the power come from, you know, you're burning fuel that drives a combination of simple machines, you know, to create the combustion engine. Now all of a sudden that power source is heretical, but the buggy's okay. Like the wheels, the chassis, the springs, the mechanisms, the steering, that's all okay technology. It's okay to combine simple machines to make a buggy, but you just can't put an engine on it. To me, that's the, that's the, like, there's some arbitrary line between acceptable technology and unacceptable technology. Right. We, I feel like we don't get a good feel for that. Mm -hmm. I feel feels that we feel things. Yeah. I think, uh, we, we talked a little bit about the irony right there of, um, the grandmaster is all about this, you know, like anti-technology and, you know, spirituality with the ancestors. But at the same he's time, greedy. he's greedy as heck and he wants gold. And, uh, yeah, again, like this arbitrary line gets kind of drawn because he's taken with this tender of the spirit. So even though he brings in a nucleic powered transmuter to turn the planet's iron into gold. The Grandmaster's okay with that because he's consuming the gold. He's not consuming the transmuter itself. So he's got this arbitrary acceptance level 
of the product of the transmuter, but not the transmuter itself. And that's kind of the opening that um, Ponyets uses to really wedge his way in with uh, with Furl. Right, gives him the means to make gold. Right, so that he can ideally expand his influence or what have you. I think it's interesting that he he uses uh, Ponyets uses that as a um, like a way to. Sorry, what's the guy's name? What's the advisor's name? Furl. Furl. So um, to take um, Farrell um, along for a little ride, he, he basically says like, "Oh well, you know." I can hook you up with this and then that'll set you up nicely to become grand master one day, which I guess is a point of contention for, um, Farrell because he's got a, he's not one of the four or five original families to the planet. So you get to, you get like a little glimpse at the social class, um, set And this is the stuff that I always find most interesting about these things is like the, the constructions of the society and like the rules of engagement and, um, I feel like there's always like these little hints to it in this story. We never get to see like more of that. And that's, that's the stuff I tend to geek out on is like, Oh, you know, if this is acceptable technology, but this isn't like our flushing toilets. Okay. Yes. Or no toilet paper. Is that, is that a technology that exists? Yes. Or no. Like, these are the things that I find fascinating. I'm sorry, Peter, but if they're 50,000 years in the future and everybody doesn't have their own personal washlet, you know, all hope is lost for humanity. I mean, they have. If we haven't turned the corner on cleaning poop off our butt with paper only by 50,000 years into the future, like, yeah, there's no hope for any of our children's well, children. I mean, I mean, they probably weren't doing it before the galactic fall. It's probably part of the reason for the fall, right? Also, they've absolutely descended into barbarism. So, you know, they're using things like leaves and not even like processed toilet paper. So, Russ, you didn't latch on to my washlet comment at all. Well, I am not actually big into that type of tech. Um, what? What? That is yeah. a complete and total lie. What a watchlet! Washlets. A washlet. What do you think I was said? A watchlet. I thought you meant like an um, like, like an a iWatch small or, watch, like a smart watch. Right, you, Is you that... were droning on it about it for twelve minutes, Jason. So we stopped listening. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about a washlet, as in like a bidet. Yes, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I heard that, that part. Yeah, I'm very pro bidet. Yeah, if I can in the future, you're telling me fifty thousand years in the future, if like I have to still experience the the barbarism of not being carried into the to- like I want to be carried into the toilet and then have the process be like, but not by re- other humans. That would be demeaning, right? I want the George Jetson like getting ready in the morning, getting on the conveyor belt. If I have to have some sort of like. Sphincter excretional tube technology. You're talking about Wally. You're talking about the spacecraft in Wally. You just want to sit on a lounge chair and float around the spaceship and not have to lift a finger or a leg or a, any part of your body out of no, the chair. No, I, do, I don't want to have to squeeze. That's the only thing. I think he's talking about his boy Elroy. <laughs> or maybe it's Jane, his wife. 
I, could, do you think people have hemorrhoids in fit, in 50,000 years? Like, God, I hope they get the, the animal. You, can, you can't tell me that people yeah, are still going to be pushing and experiencing stress on the toilet. Like, if we are still experiencing stress on the toilet, that is a big problem. Why do you think the guy's so obsessed with having a gold throne? Very important to him. Russ, <laughs> do we have to go back to the whole premise of Harry Seldon's experience for the people that he's cornered into the far reaches of the galaxy on Terminus trial by fire. Do you think that they're going to have to face monumental crises and get away with not having to squeeze a little bit each time they use the bathroom? Are you, are you telling me that like, he's going to make them go through the gauntlet and then also make it difficult for them to go to the bathroom as well? Like there's only, that is more than two crises. That's like an existential crisis. That is a fecal crisis. That is, that is a I, I would call crisis. it a Fasesian task, if you will. A Fasesian, a, a Fasesian task. task. Yeah. <laughs> don't panic, guys. Just don't panic. Just don't panic. And this is why you have to bring a towel everywhere. Oh yeah, for sure. You definitely need a towel if you're going to be using a bidet. Right. Or if you don't have a bidet, or a, a washlet, some sort of electronic washlet that politely pats you down and then sends you on your way or it's sister technology the watchlet which is a small watch that russell invented in his mind that's right to explain the word that he thought i said while he wasn't really paying attention i was busy looking up what it is that you were <laughs> describing before despotting yes. well yeah well obviously we are on a non-spot podcast so I had another observation that I wanted to share, <laughs> share, not chair, share. Yeah. So get this. So my boy Ponyets conjures a machine on the fly from stuff he's got, scraps he's got laying around his spaceship that transmutes iron into gold, like wrought iron into gold, right? Dude creates this machine, trades it and his entire ship full of stuff for as much tin as he can carry. He gets paid in tin. That's all he gets. And I'm thinking to myself, hold on, you've got a machine that can take one material and convert it into just make tin. You know, <laughs> precious gold. Like, yeah. why are you going bonkers over a ship full of tin that's yeah like, so it's temporary that's part of it that's part yeah. of the that's part the transmuter, of the yeah the transmuter doesn't yeah for a little while right it, it works the for machine like the works for a little while needs. yeah i thought the gold is gold forever but the transmuter only lasts six months it says the power consumption would be far too great for the transmuter to continue so the one that he builds out of the nucleics that he's got will only last a little bit right? because right. it requires so much power. So, so he, he manages to get, um, you know, the grand master paid off and then it, he hangs out for a little while so that they, you know, he keeps his end of the deal, quote unquote. In the meantime, he bribes, um, Margaritaville, um, with the, um, with the actual tool, records him using it, and then that becomes like his 
means of manipulation. And then by giving him the tool, I guess it's like, or some version of it, then that's how he can continue to like maintain his influence over the other five families or whatever it is, and eventually become grandmaster himself. <laughs> the and then five he's got families. Yeah, this is the Godfather, and yeah. Uh... So, so he becomes Grandmaster Flash, and he takes over the galaxy <laughs> with his hit song "Happy." And um, or am I mixing up characters? No, it's, it's his hit song. <laughs> it's his hit song. I'm going to drop it like it's gold. And, He's not worried about dropping ten albums. He's dropping straight, straight gold albums. He's going Only straight for a to gold. While. That's Only right. A little while. He's like a one-hit wonder, a one-hit O'Neater. Right. A one-hit Asquanian, if you will. If he, if he collaborated a little more with Most Def and remembered to bring a towel, I think he probably would have been gone a lot farther in his music career. But, <laughs> but I would still like to put a stake in the heart of the vampire. You know, I'm I'm trying to figure out like what is so great about ship full of tin. Still, still trying to figure that out. Awesome roofs, yeah. cats on hot tin roofs. Right, your fiddlers uh, on those roofs. You know, you got you need your top foil for your poorly wrapped Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you need that tin for something. Yeah, what is what is a a mechanical use for tin. But that's aluminum. That's aluminum, Peter. That's not tin. Why do they call it tin foil then, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jay, explain so that. Clearly, they're not material scientists. Isn't he like an actual physicist? Isaac Asimov? I think he was a chemist. Isimov. Wasn't Isimov? Isimov. I think he was a chemist because he wanted to go into biology, but he couldn't stomach all of the biological interactions that he had to uh, endure. I'm not that surprised that he has an aversion to life. <laughs> I don't know if it was life. I think it was dead stuff that he had to dissect that he was uh, turned off by. You know, on a happy note for, I guess, maybe Peter or I don't know, Russ, I don't know. You guys see, were all excited about this subject last time. There are still no women in the story. Like we still haven't. I mean, I'm met. not excited. I'm disappointed. Are you disappointed? Okay, because I uh, like girls. Oh, okay. All right. So, much to our chagrin, you know, we still don't have a pivotal character who is female at this point. We're, end, we're at the end of the traders. It's still a bunch of dudes interacting with a whole bunch of other dudes. It's been interesting. It's been very different from what we've seen so far, but it's been dudes on dudes. Yeah, going back to it's interesting. I felt like this was something out of a totally different book. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but it feel it really felt like a completely separate novella than like the other two. The other two felt tied. The other three, they felt tied together. You know, this one felt like its own beast. To be fair, Peter, I think it was from a totally different publication originally, and we always go back to this. Like I think this is another partly. A reflection of how it was written originally, um, you know, coming through that it's a little bit detached. But I'm hoping that if Asimov is consistent in his book structure as he is in his part of the book structure or a short story structure, he will pull it together in the next section. So maybe that's a good place to kind of wrap, wrap it up, up and okay. uh, and let's keep some of this stuff in mind as we edge into our next section. What is it mm. called, Peter? The Rap Superstars. 
I think you're close. I think it's almost that. Let me just double check it here. It's actually called the Merchant Princess. Almost, almost the identical thing you just said, Peter. <laughs> but they, he actually spells it the Merchant Prince. I just checked. I just spelled it, and he that's just, how he, he spelled. just spelled it. He <laughs> just spelled it. Please, the Merchant Princess, Part Five. Ladies and, and gentlemen, Jason just spelled it for us. So that's how it's spelled, and that's how it's spelled. Thank you, Potters, for uh, for listening in. It has been a pleasure to take a walk with you down the uh, part four of Traders, Isaac Asimov's foundation. My name is Russ. I want to thank everyone again for coming out. My co-hosts are Peter and Jason, and we will see you next time. Have a good night. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. Good night.